0: Heavenly Father, as we continue our series in Luke, help us once again to encounter your Son, the risen Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we go through this passage that uh, you would direct our hearts to you, you would remind us of your goodness, that you are the giver of life, and that you would shape us as your followers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, on the 4th of June, uh, 2022, uh, the late Queen Elizabeth uh, held a concert called the Platinum Party at the palace, marking 70 years of the Queen's ascension to the throne. And she was 96 years old at the time. And one of the performers, uh, George Ezra, performed his famous song at the time, called Green Green Grass. But there was a bit of controversy because the lyrics in Green Green Grass says, she said, green green grass, blue blue sky, you better throw a party on the day that I die. But the Royals directed George Ezra to change his lyrics to edit the line, you better throw a party on the day that I die to get rid of this reference to death on this party, the celebration of an ageing queen. When George Ezra talks about the meaning of the song, he says that instead of seeing death as morbid, he wants to make people see death as a celebration of life, which is a great thought. But when the rubber hits the road, even in this direction to change his lyrics, it's that when life meets death, in our society, in our world, no matter how we try to change our view on death, no matter even in the best intentions to put a positive spin on death, we don't know what to do with death. We'd all agree that death is raw, it's awkward, it's scary, death is a certainty in life, It's the world's greatest enemy. I haven't been to many non-Christian funerals, but the ones that I have been to, they're a bit awkward. They're sad. They're full of despair. They're full of empty, hopeful comments, like she's looking down on us, or he's with us whenever we do this thing. There's really no human hope in the face of death. Well, as we encountered Jesus today, we've seen Jesus over the past few weeks as this Messiah, promised one figure that the prophets waited for. He's the one with authority to forgive sins, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one whose word has authority. Well, today we see in this encounter that Therindu just read out, we see life meeting death. We see Jesus encountering death, this thing that the world has no answer to, humanity's greatest enemy, displaying and showing us more about who Jesus is and what it means for us today. If your Bible's open, have a look at verse 11 as Luke sets the scene for us. He says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. This scene follows what just happened last week with the centurion's servant. Uh, Jesus, he moves 40 kilometers south, a day's walk from verse 10, to a small town called Nain. And Jesus has a bunch of people following him his disciples, but also a great, huge crowd, a mega crowd. And he looks like a famous teacher or rabbi at the time, and this particular incident, it's unique to Luke's gospel, and it's not found in any other of the gospel accounts, and we see the incident unfold in verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. The city gate was a central meeting place in the ancient world. It was a centre for public life. And here it is, that centre where life meets death. Remember Jesus, he's got a huge following. He's been healing, saving, giving life to the sick, the hurt and afflicted. And here Jesus meets death. He meets a funeral procession, procession. Not only that, but one of a man, an only son of a mother, who was a widow. It was a sad, sad situation. Shown by the large crowd, probably all of this small town, mourning in grief with this widow. You see, this widow had lost her husband, and now she lost her only son. Her family's gone. And now she is lonely and has to fend for herself in life. Funerals were a huge deal at the time, just like it is now. Uh, There was this burial etiquette. Uh, It was an obligation on a Jew. Uh, It was so important that the studying of the law, the Torah, Bible study was suspended for funerals. The body of the dead was anointed on the day of death, wrapped up in cloth, put on a plank of wood so the body was visible, but covered as it went out. And the body was taken in a public procession. Men at the front, women behind, hired musicians and professional mourners mixed in. All of these accompanying the body outside the city through the gate and to a fami- family burial site outside the city. So the emotions at the time at the city gate, they were heavy, they were high, they were mournful. It was a funeral, it was a sad situation. And it's here when life in the person of Jesus meets death in this funeral procession. So what does Jesus do? Does he avoid it? Dealing with death is in the too hard box, can't fix that one, no authority there. Does he join in anonymously with the crowd, which would have been culturally acceptable and what he should do? Or does he just give his commiserations and keep going on his way? Well, as Luke tells the story, almost as bluntly and to the point as possible, I think there's five details that should stand out for us today as we explore this encounter between Jesus and this grieving widow. And the first is found at the start of verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. It's interesting, this is the first time Luke refers to Jesus as Lord. Uh, Maybe it's on purpose. Uh, In this passage, it shows Jesus as Lord even over death, but the first thing that sticks out for us is that Jesus is a Lord with compassion. You see, lords or masters at the time, they weren't known for compassion. They were indifferent at best. They wanted to separate, to show the power, the difference in class, but not this Lord in Jesus. Isaiah looked forward to Israel's Lord as one with compassion, and here we have one. We've seen the compassion of Jesus already. He cares for the sick and the poor and the brokenhearted. And here Luke says that it's the compassion of Jesus that feels all that happens in today's scene. You see, Jesus is one who's deeply moved by the widow's sad and hopeless situation. His heart went out for her. And because of his compassion, Jesus takes initiative in what he does next, which moves us to the second thing that should stand out for us. Have a look as verse 13 continues. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Imagine for a second you're this grieving widow. You've lost your husband. Now your only son has just died and some guy comes up to you at your funeral, at the funeral, at the height of emotion and grief and says to you, do not weep. It's pretty insensitive, isn't it? Isn't just Jesus the one who was just moved with compassion? Isn't Jesus... Is Jesus really the compassionate one, or is he a judgmental J on the Myers-Briggs chart like me, prone to say the most insensitive and zero EQ comments when it matters most? Just ask my wife. Is Jesus not empathetic at all to this situation? Don't cry. Well, as we all know, something different is with Jesus. Jesus. In fact, knowing the end of the story, that Jesus brings life out of death, at the end of the story, and at the end of the story of God's whole work of salvation, that Jesus wins eternal life in a perfect new creation. With that in mind, these three words, this command of do not weep, it kind of makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because here... Jesus is about to turn tears into joy, grief into celebration, a procession into a party, and death into life. It's a snapshot of Revelation 21 and a new creation where there are no tears. And this leads us to the third thing, the main act of the scene, this confrontation this battle between death and life. Verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bier, buyer, however you say it. Someone will correct me later. And the beerers stood still. Remember, this is a funeral procession. And after Jesus commands the widow not to weep, he proceeds to do some more unthinkable things. Actions confronting death in its awkwardness and rawness. Actions that should shock us when we read it, but at the same time bring us great joy. Jesus, Luke says that Jesus came up and touched the buyer, beer. I'm going to get killed for this. <laughs> Jesus had wandered through the funeral crowd amidst all the grieving and mourning, and the professional musicians and mourners playing and wailing out loud. And Jesus moves from the widow, who would have been right in front of the body, and he touches this funeral plank that the body was laid on. And by doing this, he stops the whole procession in its tracks, probably bringing a deadly silence to all the commotion Because not only is this terrible funeral etiquette, this act brings ritual defilement according to Jewish law. Death was dirty to the Jews and to us. You don't touch death. Just like when we had those COVID distancing rules, you stay away from death. You need to be a safe distance to stay clean. But Jesus, he doesn't care. Jesus confronts death. One commentator says Jesus displays a divine intolerance over death. And Jesus keeps going. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. You see, Jesus keeps confronting death. He speaks to a dead body. We need to remember how shocking this is how weird and mind-boggling this scene is. And even more shocking, Jesus tells the young dead man to rise. It's shocking to command a dead body to be raised. Any health professional today would never do this. But Jesus here, he has the audacity to command a dead man to be raised. He confronts death face to face. He appeals to his authority by saying, I say to you, arise. This is a do or die moment for the authority of Jesus. Does he have authority over death too? Or will this fail and the fame And the following of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus disappear. And the fourth thing that should stand out here is that the dead man is raised to life. And this should make us go, wow, a dead guy comes back to life. Or does the reality of dead people rising in Jesus not stop you in your tracks anymore? Let's not be inoculated to the miracle of life from death. Verse 15. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. We can be forgiven a bit, because Luke, he puts it so bluntly. Three things happen. The dead man sat up. Luke adds some irony, because dead men don't sit up. But this dead man does. Second, the dead man spoke. Dead men don't speak. But this one does. Proving in fact that he's not dead, but alive. And Luke gives this proof with his background as a doctor. And the third thing that happens, Jesus gave him to his mother. Never really understood what this meant until recently, but it seems that there's two layers to this action. First, the relationship of mother and son was broken by death. And now as the son is revived, Jesus restores this mother and son relationship. And the second layer to this is that the great Old Testament prophet Elijah uses these same words, interestingly, after bringing a widow's son back to life in 1 Kings 17, verse 23. And this sets Jesus up as a great prophet in the same line and type as Elijah. And just a side comment, here this dead man comes back to life But this resurrection is only a temporal one. It's not new life forever for this dead man, this dead son. It's not being born again. This widow's son, his life is restored, but he will die again. So as extraordinary as this miracle is, and it is extraordinary, sin still reigns. Death has not been defeated yet at this point, but we do see a snapshot here of Jesus and his authority again because Jesus indeed has power over death, a unique authority like no other. And now we come to the final thing that should stand out for us and that's the crowd's confession because the crowd They're in fear, amazement, and glorifying God yet again. But look at the comments in verse 16. Fear sees them all, and they glorify God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. You see the crowd, they rightly acknowledge what they've seen. A great prophet is with us. They see that something unique, Something different is here. It's not a messianic proclamation, but at the very least, Jesus is in the highest level and tier of prophets. He's like a new Elijah coming to the aid of the defenseless, showing compassion and inviting them into God's grace. And the next comment God has visited his people. They're not saying that Jesus is God even though we know that this is the case, but they're declaring that it must be God at work here, just like he was in the Old Testament days, something that hadn't happened for three or four centuries for the Jews since the time of Malachi. God was at work again. He has visited his people. And verse 17 shows the ripple effects of this unique show of power. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This report spread through the whole region of Palestine, the country, and even beyond this eye-grabbing report, life meets death. And Jesus, in his compassion, Raised a dead man to life. This teacher, this healer, this prophet Jesus, this rabbi Jesus has authority even over death. So today we've looked at this grieving widow encountered Jesus who was grieving the death of her only son and Jesus turns grief into joy, death to life, as he raises her only son to life. And I think this should point us to another story of the compassion of Jesus, of another widow and her son, described as an only beloved begotten son, where life, met death, where Jesus ultimately shows the full extent of his authority over death. You see, this raising of the dead, it naturally, it ultimately, it must point us to the cross, to the third day, to Jesus himself being raised from death to new life because there's so many similarities here. Jesus, he takes initiative and he shows compassion to the hopeless. Life meets and confronts death. A resurrection happens and an only begotten son is raised to life. But the resurrection of Jesus is so much more, isn't it? In the resurrection here, the only son still dies, Death is only temporarily defeated, sin isn't really dealt with, and while Jesus does show authority over death here, in the bigger scheme of things, death still rules and reigns. But if you think about it, as Jesus rose from death to life on that resurrection Easter Sunday, the only son lives forever. Death is defeated forever because sin has been dealt with by the substitutionary atoning death of Jesus on the cross. Jesus paid it all. And therefore sin and death are conquered. And there is life, one in Jesus who rules and reigns. You see, Jesus indeed has authority over death as seen in today's scene, as seen ultimately in the empty tomb as Jesus himself rose from death to life. When we began today, we talked about George Ezra and his lyrics, you better throw a party on the day that I die. In an interview, George Ezra talks about these lyrics, and he talks about a trip to St. Lucia in the Caribbean. He says, "About after about half an hour, I had to go see what it was, and there was a street party going on with three different sound systems, people cooking in the street. I asked a woman what was going on, and she told me it was a funeral for three people. They were celebrating three lives, I thought, That is not how we do this at home. It's really beautiful. You see, George Ezra knew the sadness of death and he was impressed with what he saw, the sense of a funeral becoming a street party. But even in this cultural insight that George Ezra saw, we know Nothing can escape the reality of death. Death is loss. Death is final. The street party might be great and fun, but it won't last. Grief and mourning will overcome. You see, in this world left to ourselves, death is hopeless. You see, the only way George Ezra's vision can happen. A funeral really becoming a street party. It's in Jesus. A funeral becoming a street party. Tears into joy, grief into celebration, a funeral procession into a party, death into life. Only in Jesus. So, as we encounter Jesus today, he tackles an issue that no human being can avoid. And Jesus, he claims a unique authority over death, looking forward to the cross, his own powerful resurrection from death to life forever. And this points to the offer that Jesus gives to each of us new life, life from death, as we trust in Jesus, the one who has all authority over life and death, the one who is able to raise us from death to life, a resurrection that lasts forever into eternity and into the new creation. The cross is the ultimate show of the compassion of Jesus You see, this is an encounter with Jesus that we all have to respond to. So if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, let me ask you, what do you do with death? Do you have an answer to death? Because here Jesus demonstrates an authority over death. He stares it straight in the face and deals with it, here bringing, a lot, bringing life to the widow's dead only son and on the cross dealing with sin in his own death and rising again into new life. And Jesus offers life from death to each of us as we trust in Jesus, as we're united to him In his death dealing with our sin and in his resurrection life forever meaning that we who are once heading to death can instead look forward to new life forever in jesus as the famous verse puts it for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. And because of this, Jesus is the greatest story. Jesus is the greatest hope. In Jesus, death turns into life. So if you're not following Jesus today, let me ask you what is your hope? in life and death. How will you respond to Jesus and his authority over death? Let me encourage you, if you're still thinking about this, come to our Hope Explored course in April. Come and explore and ask questions and consider the hope of life that Jesus offers you. For most of us here today, you do follow Jesus we have here a powerful and refreshing reminder that Jesus is a Lord of compassion who meets us in our grief, in our hopelessness, and our deepest despair, who stares down and confronts death, both here and on the cross in his death and resurrection. I think it's easy to fall into seeing following Jesus as an obligation, as a moral code, as an insurance measure, as an intellectual pursuit, or as an emotional injection. But we need to remember, we must remember that the core of following Jesus is that we are people of life. We were once dead in sin, But in the resurrection of Jesus, we are also raised from death into new life forever. God has made us alive in Christ. He was compassionate to us, wasn't he? We didn't merit salvation. We were hopeless. Yet God took the initiative and he took it in Jesus to save us and give us life. And Jesus looked death in the face. He confronted it for us and brings about new life for us forever. And because of this, we are people of life and hope. And before we finish off, I think this authority of Jesus over death, it affects how we live. And it affects how we see the world too. Firstly, if Jesus has authority over death and we have new life forever in Jesus, this means that if you are in Jesus, you have the utmost confidence in living for Jesus today. You see, having our greatest enemy defeated in death and new life won and secured You're free to live confidently, boldly, unashamedly, sacrificially, not for yourself, but for Jesus, our our risen Lord. Most of you know me by now. I'm a pretty reserved person. I'm cautious. I want to be safe and sure before I do anything. But if Jesus has truly defeated death, and secured for me new life. This ought to free me to live radically for Jesus, not caring what others think. To live sacrificially for the call of Jesus, no matter where that leads me or what it may bring. To live counterculturally for Jesus, trusting that He is the Lord of life, He has life and death in His hands. And I think this isn't a me thing. I think the Western church generally breeds comfortable, reserved, and cautious Christians. In theory, we definitely trust Jesus with our lives. I'm not saying we don't. But I think we don't know what it means to really trust Jesus completely with our whole lives, knowing that Jesus is Lord over life and death. For whatever reason we're anxious we're reserved we're easily to grow more in love with the comforts around us we're fearful of much lesser things than death when jesus has defeated the greatest enemy in death in 1st corinthians 15 as the rindu read out paul is so confident of new life in the resurrection of Jesus, that he mocks death, he ridicules death with these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? How might you live confidently for Jesus today, trusting that Jesus has life and death in his hands? living out these words of Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Secondly, if Jesus has authority over death and we have new life forever in Jesus, it affects how you see the world around us too. Because let me tell you, many people in our world do not know and they're not benefiting from new life forever in Jesus. Many people are still hopeless in their sin and facing death and judgment. Just think about our suburb alone. There's 10,800 people in Upper Mount Gravatt according to the census. If 3% of these are active, and professing followers of Jesus, there's 10,476 people in this suburb alone who are lost, facing death without Jesus. Remember, Jesus was moved by compassion for the hopeless. And each of us likewise are to grow in our compassion too. Compassion for the hopeless around us. A desire for the lost to be saved. You need to see the world and I need to see the world and see the multitudes who are outside of Jesus. Multitudes who are ultimately without life, facing death, facing judgment family, friends, co-workers, people you see on a day-to-day basis. Does your heart break for these people? Wanting them to experience the same life-giving power of Jesus that you have, to be found enjoying eternal life instead of death, This is exactly why we're running this Hope Explored course. Not just to do another thing, not just to look like the cool and busy churches, but because our hearts break for the lost without Jesus, those who are facing death without Jesus. And we want them to have a space to explore hope, to explore life, to explore the claims of Jesus, and God willing, to find life instead of death in the saving work of Jesus. So if Jesus is the Lord over life and death, how do you view the world? How do you view the hopeless and the helpless and the lost without Jesus around us? Because of this truth let me encourage you to grow your compassion, your desire, your missional heat, your heart to see people move from death and find life in Jesus. So as we finish our time this morning, today and every Sunday as we open God's word, we're not just learning knowledge. It's not just informative. Friends, We're dealing with life and death. And we have the best news. Jesus is indeed the Lord of life, the Lord over death. It's the news that changes everything. (coughs) The late Pastor Tim Keller, he was preaching the week after the September 11 attacks in New York, where almost 3,000 people died. And in his sermon, he quotes J.R.R. R. Tolkien to point to the hope of resurrection in Jesus. He says, in the last book of the Lord of the Rings, Samwise Ganji wakes up thinking everything is lost and discovering instead that all his friends were around him. He cries out, Gandalf! I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And Tim Keller responds and says, the answer is yes. The answer of the Bible is yes. If the resurrection is true, then the answer is yes. Everything sad is going to come Untrue. Jesus is truly the Lord who brings life out of death. Only in Jesus, everything sad will turn into joy. Even death will be turned upside down into life forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have power over life and death, You've won resurrection life as you dealt with sin on the cross and rose victorious over death into new life on the third day. Jesus, help us to respond by trusting in your saving and life-giving work. Help us by your spirit to live confidently, knowing that death has been defeated and our lives are secure in you. Jesus, help our hearts to break for those around us who still face death. And please work, even use us, to share your life-giving and death-defeating message to them. In your name we pray, amen.